Howdy everybody, Dr. Andy Woods here. I'm the pastor teacher at Sugarland Bible Church. I'm back with my friend, colleague, fellow elder, associate pastor, Dr. Jim McGowan. Today is December the 22nd, just a few days to go before Christmas. This is Pastor's Point of View, number 282. This will be our final show of 2023. So we were not bashful in terms of holding back things. Um, everything that needs to be discussed will be discussed today because next week we have off because it's uh, Christmas week. But um, whether it's Christmas week or New Year's or not Christmas week, uh, the prophetic scenario never seems to slow down, Brother Jim. Amen to that. And so as you look at our outline here for today, we've got uh, five major things to talk about. I want to bring you up to date on a few things with the Gog-Magog alignment, the two-state solution that looks like is about to be imposed mm -hmm. on yeah. the nation of Israel. Anti-Semitism is off the charts uh, since October the 7th, and it's growing. Mm. Um, our trajectory into global governance is not abating. And the United States of America, you know, the last vestige of liberty, freedom, and hope that's anti-Antichrist and anti-New World Order yeah. is actually in decline. So with all of that being said, let's go ahead and start with the Gog, uh, Magog update. Um, here is a map that we frequently use of the nations that are going to invade Israel in the last days, and you'll notice that two of them are Rosh or Russia. We've talked in depth about that many times on this broadcast, but you notice there, Brother Jim, that we've got Cush yes. circled. So Rosh or Russia and, and Cush, um, the Hebrew in Ezekiel 38 verse 5 describing this invasion, which is depicted in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The Hebrew there is is Cush. Mm -hmm. yep. And we believe that Cush is Ethiopia. And one of the reasons we think that is a statement that Josephus, the first century Jewish historian made. You know, he traced these names from Genesis 10, the Table of Nations, mm -hmm. yes, and, where, uh -huh. and where they settled. So the modern nations containing those people groups are the invaders that Ezekiel said would come against Israel in the last right. days. And Josephus in his antiquities identified Cush as Ethiopia. And what did Josephus say there? All right, quoting, For of the four sons of Ham, time has not at all hurt the name of Cush. For the Ethiopians over whom he reigned are even at this day both themselves and by all men in Asia called Cushites. Now, I wrote a book called The Middle East Meltdown. We have a screenshot of it there. And in that book, I go to a lot of labor, really, trying to show people uh, where these ancient people groups settled. Right. And trying to connect the dots between those ancient people groups and the modern nations containing those names. So if you want more information why Cush uh, that's mentioned in Ezekiel 38 verse 5 is Ethiopia, you can find it in that particular book. And I find this very interesting because when we talk about this invasion, most of our reports deal with the big three, Russia, Iran, and Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Russia and Iran and Turkey are not the full picture. Kush or Ethiopia 
is actually going to play a role as well. So what's interesting as we watch this um, conglomeration of nations developing exactly like the Bible says is not just the existence of those nations with a posture against Israel, but their cooperation with each other. Mm. So Russia is cooperating with Iran, is cooperating with Turkey, etc. And now we have a headline where you've got <laughs> Russia and lo and behold, Ethiopia. <laughs> it's just amazing, isn't it? In, in an alliance together. Um, and why do you say it's amazing? I, I, I say it's amazing because how many times in your life can you be struck by lightning? You know, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's like, you know, you read pr the prophetic scriptures and, you know, it, it really waited until the time we're in right now for all these things to begin to fall into place. Yes. You know, nobody realized really, you know, many didn't even believe it would happen. And here we are. It's happening. Yeah. The stage is being set. So we have this article from uh, BNNBreaking.com, Ethiopia. Uh, and North Korea that we're not going to comment on today, although that's a tremendous subject that needs further exploration. But Ethiopia uh, and North Korea bolster military ties with Russia, forming wow. a new geopolitical landscape. Mm. What does that article say? The Ethiopian parliament, the House of People's Representatives, has given the green light to a draft decree designed to safeguard intellectual property and assets associated with military technical cooperation with Russia. This legislative action comes in the wake of a military cooperations agreement signed between Ethiopia and Russia in July 2021 to augment the abilities of the Ethiopian National Defense Force in terms of knowledge, skills, and technology. This new enactment is set to pave the way for Ethiopia to procure arms from Russia. To procure arms from who? Russia. Okay. Mm -hmm. Dima Negro, the chairman of the Foreign Relations and Peace Standing Committee, emphasized that the recently sanctioned bill is expected to vastly enhance Ethiopia's armory. The, the uh, partnership, he said, is expected to provide a significant boost to Ethiopia's military capabilities. However, the implications of this bill stretch beyond military boundaries. Mm. It also serves to fortify the enduring diplomatic ties between Ethiopia and Russia. The two nations linked by history of political and military cooperation are once again finding common ground in their shared interests. So you've got a prophecy from Ezekiel 2,600 years ago yep. that Russia and Cush or Ethiopia would invade Israel in the last days. Mm -hmm. I mean, does it, does it, if that's true, and we believe it is, it will happen. Yep. It doesn't stand as any great shock that those two nations would start cooperating with each other related to arms and military Amen. prior to this invasion. And that's why mm. we bring this to people's um, Amazing attention. Amazing stuff. Well, let's go to our second bullet point here. And it has to do with the two-state solution, uh, which uh, apparently since October, the events of October the 7th, the world community is dead set on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they think mm. this is the only way to solve tension in that part of the world and you notice our map there of the so-called west bank that's what they want israel to give up 
right. and give to the so-called Palestinians, which we think would be a tragedy. Because as you look at this second map, you'll notice Gaza there in the southwestern portion of the map. Uh, there's your two-state solution. Yes. Israel gave that up in 2005, and that's where Hamas uh, just did their terrorist attack from. That's exactly right. So what do you think is going to happen when you give up that that larger area? Yeah. Uh, flippantly called the West Bank, better said Judea and Samaria. Yet we think this two-state solution, as it's going to be imposed, is preparatory for the peace treaty of some sort or mm -hmm. decree between the Antichrist and unbelieving Israel. Because the map we had up earlier shows that if Israel gives up the West Bank, she'll be reduced, her width will be re reduced to less than 10 miles. Right. Uh, that's the uh, pre-1967 borders that everybody wants Israel to go back to, which mm -hmm. means Israel is going to have to reach out to somebody for protection, and the Antichrist will show right. up and say, I'm your guy. Yep. So um, we find this prediction of a coming uh, treaty of some kind or covenant between Israel and the Antichrist in Isaiah 28, verse 15 and verse 18. Remind us what those verses say. All right, reading from the New American Standard 95 update, Isaiah 28, 15 and 18. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have made a pact. The overwhelming scourge will not reach us when it passes by. We have made falsehood our refuge, and we have concealed ourselves with deception. Your covenant with death will be canceled, and your pact with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, then you become its trampling place. So this is called by the prophet Isaiah a covenant with hell yeah. or death itself. Mm -hmm. That's what how God looks at this covenant that... Israel will be forced to enter into with the Antichrist. And we know that that will be the specific event post-rapture, by the way, mm -hmm. which will launch Hallelujah. the seven-year tribulation period. And we find that prediction in Daniel 9, verse 27. What does that say? Daniel 9, 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now we have that verse pictured in the form of a graphic that we frequently use. And you'll notice from this graphic that what will start the seven-year tribulation period will be this covenant with death yes. between the Antichrist and unbelieving Israel. And we think that the two-state solution, as, it's, as it looks like it's going to be at some point imposed upon Israel, is a pretext mm -hmm. or yes. setting the stage for this covenant. It's what gives Israel an incentive to reach out to the Antichrist yeah. Yeah. for this covenant. And once the, the world moves in this direction, it's going to trigger God. <laughs> Everybody's being triggered today. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what triggers God? What What causes God to say that's it? And he brings his wrath to the earth. Well, we're, we're told that in the mm -hmm. book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 2. It is the division of his land. Right. And what does that uh, verse say? Joel 3, 2. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel. 
whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. So, <laughs> notice it's God's land. It is. First of all. Secondly, God says, the reason I'm going to enter judgment, this is the events of the tribulation mm -hmm. period, yeah. against the nations is this is what they did to my land. They divided it. That's what the two-state solution does. Yeah. It divides God's land. So as the world is moving towards this, uh, what they think is going to solve Middle East tension, this two-state solution, you have to understand two things from a prophetic standpoint. Number one, it's preparatory for the covenant. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's going to trigger God. Yes. And God is going to say that's enough. Yeah. And he's going to bring his judgment to planet Earth. So mm. with all of that being said, uh, you'll notice this particular uh, article from uh, Breitbart, December the 17th, that relates to Lindsey Graham. And it says, uh, uh, according to Senator Lindsey Graham, Israel will have to accept the two-state solution uh, to to normalize ties with Arab countries. I'll just go ahead and read this first paragraph. It says, Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, Republican South Carolina, said on Sunday on NBC's Meet the Press that Israel has to. Mm. Mm -hmm. She's being forced into this. Yeah. Accept a two-state solution if it wants to normalize ties with Saudi Arabia and other Arab nations. And this is an interview uh, that was conducted by Kristen Welker. And there's a transcript of it in this particular article. But let's read the relevant portion here on page three. All right, Graham is speaking here. Here's what has changed after October the 7th. I can tell you Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries cannot normalize with Israel if they're seen, if they're having been seen as showing the Palestinians under the, uh, throwing the Palestinians under the bus. He go, goes on to say, I think the Arabs are going to demand some form of two-state solution to recognize Israel. So notice it's, uh, it's like it's not optional. No. And also what's interesting here is he's tying it to, he doesn't use the expression, but the Abraham Accords. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abraham Accords are normalization agreements between Islamic countries and Israel. Yeah. And if the uh, Islamic country will recognize Israel's existence, Israel will open up to uh, these Islamic countries that enter into the Abraham Accords, trade, travel, mm -hmm. uh, tourism, and technology. And we have reported on this um, a number of times from the standpoint of Ezekiel 38, verse 13. What, what does that say? All right, Ezekiel 38, 13. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages will say to you, have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to capture great spoil? This is talking about Sheba and Dedan protesting the invasion described in Ezekiel 38. Yes. And it's a minute detail that has been skipped over for many, many years. But now we're seeing why it's here. Sheba and Dedan is Saudi Arabia. Right. Uh, my little book, The Middle East Meltdown, explains that if people are interested. And Saudi Arabia protests the invasion. 
because she's benefiting from Israel. Right. So the question is, what would put Saudi Arabia in a position where she's benefiting Israel to the point where she speaks up against the invasion? Mm -hmm. And the answer is the Abraham Accords, right. because all the analysts say Saudi Arabia is the next nation to fall under the auspices or the, the jurisdiction of the Abraham Accords. Mm -hmm. She's the next one to mm -hmm. you know, enter into that arrangement. And so we've typically reported on the Abraham Accords from that standpoint. But there's another dimension to this that we haven't mentioned. What we're now learning is the Saudis will not enter into the Abraham Accords with Israel until Israel accepts the two-state solution. Mm, yeah. So uh, no matter how you slice this, um, it looks to me like Israel is being forced into this right. two-state solution. Right. And for reasons explained earlier, um, we look at this as you know preparatory for the end times scenario. So with this idea of Israel being coerced or Israel being forced into something, there is an article that just came out December the 6th. 2023 from Israel's national news, it says the United Nations Secretary General mm. invokes a rare article mm. in an attempt to force, yeah, notice that language, force, mm -hmm. a ceasefire. So Israel, not only do we want you um, in this two-state solution, not only are we tying Saudi normalization to you accepting the two-state solution, yeah. but the United Nations is now forcing you to engage in a ceasefire. In other words, not to retaliate against Hamas, mm -hmm. despite the, the fact that Hamas, beginning October the 7th, killed more Jews than any time in Jewish history since the Holocaust. Wow. And so you see the posture of the nations forcing, mm -hmm. imposing. Mm -hmm. um, and this, I think, is consistent with the prophetic scenario of the last days. So help us with this article here. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres invoked a rarely used article of the UN Charter in an attempt to force the Security Council to act to stop the ongoing war between Israel and the Hamas terrorist organization. Guterres invoked Article 99, which states, quote, the Secretary General may bring to the attention of the Security Council any matter which, in his opinion, may threaten the maintenance of international peace and security, close quote. This is the first time Guterres has invoked this article since becoming Secretary General. He did not do so in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine or the takeover of Afghanistan by the Taliban following America's withdrawal in 2021. UN spokesperson Stephanie Dujaric told, uh, let's see, said rather that invoking Article 99 is, quote, a dramatic constitutional move designed to put great pressure on the Security Council to act in compliance with the Secretary General's wishes and that it is, quote, the most powerful tool that he has, close quote. Israeli ambassador to the UN, Gilad Erdan, said in response to Guterres's move, quote, 
Today, the Secretary General has reached a new moral low. He writes that he is activating for the first time Article 99 of the UN Charter in relation to the Israel-Hamas war, an article that can only be invoked in a situation where international peace and security are threatened. The Secretary General decided to activate this rare clause only when it allows him to put pressure on Israel, which is fighting the Nazi Hamas terrorists. This is more proof of the Secretary General's moral distortion mm. and his bias against Israel. Instead of the Secretary General explicitly pointing to Hamas's responsibility for the situation and calling on the terrorist leaders to turn themselves in and return the hostages, thus ending the war, the Secretary General chooses to continue playing into Hamas's hands. Uh, I again call on the Secretary General to resign immediately. The UN needs a Secretary General who supports the war on terror, not a Secretary General who acts according to the script written by Hamas, Erdogan said. So this is like a rarely used legal tool. And he didn't use it with Ukraine, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Didn't use it with our very sloppy pullout of Afghanistan and how Taliban came into Afghanistan to fill the vacuum. Didn't use it nope. there. No, nope. didn't need it then. But when it comes to these Jews yep. and they're defending themselves, rooting out terrorist cells within their own territory or borders uh, post-October the 7th, oh, we're going to use it now. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the, the, the type of thing that the Bible predicts about Israel being forced, coerced uh, into a two-state solution, mm -hmm. which is, I, I think, mm -hmm. what the prophetic scenario uh, indicates for the last yeah. days. Yeah. I mean, this, is, this mindset is alive and well. Yeah. Uh, amongst the globalists. Yeah. Would you add anything I, You to know, that? I just had a thought that just popped into my yes, head. Sir. So uh, it's very interesting to me because this is, is all fear-mongering. Uh, I, I think that these people like the UN and such, they really are concerned because they realize that now more than any other time in history, Islam is literally spread out into areas that has never been or hasn't been in for centuries. Mm -hmm. And now you have large communities of Muslims in Europe, in America and other places. Well, what happens if we don't come down on the right side of this war? Well, could it potentially cause uprisings in our area? Mm -hmm. See, I think there's some fear going on here. Yeah. And we're going to talk in a minute, a few moments about the incursion of Islam right here in the United States, mm. but that's, that's coming. Well, let's move to our third area, which obviously is highly related. It's uh, anti-Semitism of the yeah. last days. Uh, dare we, or need we read these verses again? We read them every week. Uh, what does Zechariah 12 verse three anticipate? Oh, let's see. I'll go ahead and I got do it right it there. here. Okay. Zechariah 12 verse three. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. And we have a parallel passage in Zechariah 14, verse 2. All right, Zechariah 14, 2. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. 
but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Clear predictions that as we get closer and closer to the end times, the world as stage setting for those prophecies, and it says every nation would Mm -hmm. come against Israel. And if you're looking for predictions of anti-Semitism rearing its ugly head of global proportions in the last days, those are the two of the clearest ones I know of. Yes. Charles Lee Feinberg um, coming on these passages, what does he say? Just for the sake of time, would you just mind reading the last sentence there? All right. Beginning with the preposition in. All right. In the time of our passage, all the nations of earth will be bitten by the virus of anti-Semitism. And we have a similar prediction in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 6 through 17. We actually have a graphic on that, but it's a uh, prediction of the dragon or Satan being cast out of heaven mm-hmm. for the last time. And he uh, seeks to, spends 42 months with great wrath, it says, yes. trying to gobble up or destroy the woman clothed with the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, which mm-hmm. we believe is a reference to the nation of Israel. So so put together these Bible passages and anti-Semitism will almost reach a fever pitch, yeah. you know, in the last days. Yeah. And I have to be honest with you, Brother Jim, one of the things that has surprised me post-October the 7th is the people of the world, the earth, the global community, even leaders mm-hmm. in the United States blaming Israel for the whole thing. Right. Um, so, on and on and on. Yes, and so we have this article from Israel 365 News, December 17th. It says anti-Semitism surges 337% since wow. October the 7th, the highest level ever recorded. Mm. What does that article say? The Anti-Defamation League reported that since the Hamas massacre in Israel on October 7, anti-Semitism has increased dramatically around the world. Quoting, since October 7, 2023, ADL has recorded a surge Mm. of anti-Semitic incidents in the U.S. and tracked a spike in anti-Semitism around the world, the ADL wrote. At at anti-Israel October and November rallies, ADL Center on Extremism reported anti-Semitic rhetoric and tropes, implicit support for Hamas terror, and the denigration of Zionists, as implied and sometimes explicit support for violence against Israelis and Zionists, and the use of language playing into historic tropes becomes more normalized, anti-Semitic incidents will likely continue to increase, close quote. The ADL reported 2,031 anti-Semitic incidents, including 40 incidents of physical violence, 749 of verbal attacks, 337 cases of vandalism, and 905 rallies that featured anti-Semitic speech. That's up from 465 incidents during the same period in 2022 and represents the highest ever two-month number since the ADL began tracking anti-Semitism in the country in 1979. It also represents a 337% increase over the same period in 2022. The data also showed 
250 incidents that targeted Jewish institutions, including synagogues. The ADL said it's, it's recorded a total of 400 anti-Semitic incidents at university campuses, compared to 33 incidents during the same period last year. The ADL included in its statistics the death of a Jewish man and pro-Israel supporter, Paul Kessler, 69, who was killed during a clash with a pro-Palestinian protester in California last month. While a suspect was arrested and charged with involuntary manslaughter, he is not facing hate crime charges. And I hope people will get this article and, and read the whole thing. But it goes on and it gives the breakdown. Mm. Yes. Statistically, since October the 7th of anti-Semitism in the United States, in Australia, it monitors Dutch anti-Semitism, yeah. anti-Semitic incidents in Germany, Brazil, mm -hmm. uh, tragically, Brother Jim, all on the upswing. Yeah. And one of the things that we have done here on Pastor's Point of View is we've called out people on the right as well as the left. For sure. Who are fomenting, uh, even so-called Christian conservatives, Yeah, who are fomenting this nonsense. One of the persons that we have highlighted regularly is the Twitter feed of, of Stu Peters, mm -hmm. uh, who's a good on some other limited government issues. But he has just put out one tweet after another. Yeah condemning the Jewish people post-October the 7th. And what does he say here in this particular tweet? All right. Scripture has been weaponized against Christians. We have to understand that the pro-homosexual, pro-baby-killing, secular nation-state calling itself Israel and founded in the 1940s is not the Israel of the Bible. Now, wow. a lot of things here. Wow. Notice he's on InfoWars okay, wow. saying this. Mm. This is Alex Jones' uh, media uh, uh, outreach platform. Yeah. Uh, this is why we don't promote Alex Jones at all on this show right. because of he gives a platform for just raw and unbridled anti-Semitism. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of ministries, Brother Jim, that are in our camp, pre-trib, pre-mill, that are bringing Alex Jones onto their podcast to see what he has to say wow. uh, about current events, not understanding that the guy is basically an unbridled anti-Semite. And, yeah. and so is this uh, Stu Peters. Mm -hmm. Stu Peters here ignorantly says the Jewish nation began in the 1940s. Um, no, no, Stu. They didn't <laughs> Does begin. he have an Old Testament? <laughs> they didn't begin in the 1940s. Holy cow. They began with the calling of Abram, <laughs> yes, from the from Ur of the Chaldeans, yes, and they were displaced from their land in AD seventy and regathered into their own land, yes, in the nineteen forties. So yes. he's obviously a bit confused on that, <laughs> yes. But he's upset with Israel because they are a pro-homosexual, baby-killing, secular nation. Uh, never, I guess the Islamic countries that surround it have a much higher ethic in his mind. <sighs> But, but even if all of this stuff is true, it doesn't disprove the fact that they're God's people Correct. because the Bible is very clear that Israel is going to be regathered in unbelief. That's right. Before she is brought to faith. That's right. And that's what's happening in the Middle East. And that's what the prophet Ezekiel predicts. Mm. Who does, what does Ezekiel 
36 say? And you can just read uh, verses 24 through 26 if you don't mind. All right, Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 26. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, do you see a sequence here, Brother Jim? Wow. I will gather you from all the nations and bring you into your own land. Then... Mm. Yes. So part one, the gathering. Yes. Part two, the sprinkling, which is defined in this passage as the Holy Spirit. So yeah, Israel is a baby-killing, pro-homosexual nation in verse 24, but that's not what they're going to be in verse 25. Amen. And for some reason, this uh, clear chronology escapes the mind or the logic of Stu Peters. Yeah. He, what he wants is he wants them to be a millennial believing nation before he's willing to believe that they're God's people as right. if God can't regather his own people in unbelief. Mm. Uh, this is illustrated in Ezekiel 37 verses seven through 11. What does that say? All right. Ezekiel 37, seven through 11. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Do you see a chronology here or wow. a sequence? Yes. I mean, that's just what Ezekiel 36 said. Same thing. The bones come together. They mm -hmm. form a body, but there's no breath in them. Mm -hmm. the, the body without the breath is Israel as a, what does he call them? A pro-homosexual baby-killing state. Okay. But they're not going to stay that way forever. That's right. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, the Hebrew is Ruah, mm -hmm. Spirit is going to come into them and they will be a believing nation one day. So we're literally living in between the forming of the bones into right. a body and a right. breath. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why the Stu Peters of the world have such a difficult time, time with this. To me, it's not a terribly difficult concept to grasp. Mm. Uh, Dr. Randall Price in this chart uh, describes the two regatherings of Israel first in unbelief and preparation for the tribulation and mm -hmm. second in belief in preparation for the millennial kingdom. So in the first return, it's part of the land and the second return, it's all of the land. Yes. In the first return, she comes back in unbelief, second return in faith. Mm -hmm. 
First return, restore to the land only. Second return, restore to the land and the Lord. First return sets the stage for the discipline of the tribulation. Second return at the end of the 70th week of Daniel sets the stage for the millennial blessings. So when Stu Peters looks at Israel and and says they're not in faith and they're disobedient, therefore they're not the, the Israel, what does he say? The, the Israel over there is not the Israel of the Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's completely bypassing, you know, all of these prophecies. God mm-hmm. has a program for Israel in unbelief. Yes. Just like he has a program for them in faith. Yes. Um, Amen. In fact, concerning this program in unbelief, would you mind reading just one verse? Revelation chapter 11, verse 8. All right. Revelation uh, 11, verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. An obvious reference to Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. where their Lord was crucified. Mm -hmm. And prior to their conversion, uh, they're mystically called Sodom. There's your homosexuality and and Egypt. Mm -hmm. So now does, does this mean that God is finished with them? No, um, they're an unbelieving nation about to be transformed into a believing nation That's right. in the events of the tribulation period. So all of these people that <laughs> I think ought to know better, uh, looking over at Israel and saying the Israel over there is not the Israel of the Bible and, and saying these stupid things mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, that's a country that started in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they're, they're just ignoring what the Bible says and demanding that they have to be in some kind of millennial obedience before, you know, they acknowledge them as God's people. They're, they're ignoring all of these, pop, these verses. You, you almost have to be willingly <laughs> ignorant to buy into all of this stuff. Absolutely. And I expect this from the left. What do they know about the Bible? Right. I don't expect it from people that, uh, call themselves biblicists and yeah. conservatives and constitutionalists and limited government types. I don't expect it from them, but you, that's, that's what you we're You sort of start to get a picture of people's theology, don't you? Yes. Mm. Well, wow. I mean, if Stu Peters goes to a church, supposedly he goes to a Calvary chapel. I've heard that. I mean, what what is his pastor teaching? Um, one wonders, you know, and I know that the Calvary Chapel guys would not embrace the ones I know mm-hmm. would not embrace what Stu Peters is vomiting up. Yeah, that's al- a good word. Al- almost on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter, it's just one post after another, yeah. you know, attacking the the Jewish nation post October mm. the 7th. But what did God say? Anti-Semitism would flare up in the last days. That's right. And that's what we're seeing. Uh, let's move into our fourth bullet point here, and that's our trajectory into globalism. We know that that is prophetically significant because of Daniel 7, verse 23. What does that say? Daniel seven twenty-three. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. One world government will exist under the power of the Antichrist before Jesus comes back. Yeah. Now, this is called the New World Order. It's a three-legged stool. Mm-hmm. It will have an economic dimension. It will have a political dimension. And it will have a spiritual, mm. religious uh, dimension. 
and we find that predicted, the spiritual part of it, in Revelation 17, verse 15, just for the sake of time, if you don't mind just reading verse 15. All right, Revelation 17, 15. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So the harlot is religion. Mm -hmm. And when it talks about its influence over the multitudes, it's talking about its global influence. Right. So this is the religious component of the new world order. And I'm here to tell you folks that <laughs> what is being brought into existence right now uh, through the rescue of the earth, I, I think <laughs> is, if it's not a big piece of the religious puzzle, um, it's the piece, the central piece. Yeah. Now, Al Gore in his book, Earth in the Balance, in 1992, oh, yes. uh, made this statement about the environment. According to Al Gore, quote, we must make the rescue of the environment the central organizing principle for civilization, close quote. Now, how do you do that other than to take the earth and to turn it into something that you worship? <laughs> yes. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if the rescue of the earth is going to be the central organizing principle that brings in global governance, what better way to do that than to throw in a spiritual component right. and make the earth something that you actually worship in, right. the, in the place of God? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what is happening right now in the latest, uh, what is it, COP28 environmental summit in Dubai. <laughs> of course. They just met. Did you know that? Um, now here's <laughs> They meet a lot over they there, sure, don't they? They sure do. <clears throat> and they all pollute the world in their big they multi do, they? <laughs> their jets to get over there. <clears throat> Um, and they have a lot of steak dinners when they're there. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. I've got another article on that, which I didn't prostitutes. bring in. And <laughs> prostitutes. But, uh, and I bring up steak dinners because they're the ones that say we shouldn't eat meat. <laughs> That's right. they're enjoying their Don't steak Don't eat meat. <laughs> but here's this article from Cal Beisner, December the 8th. This is World Net Daily. And it says, climate uh, catastrophists at Dubai summit exploit religious leaders. So what are they doing? They're bringing in um, not just junk science, but they're bringing in this junk religion yep. to sort of yes. prop the whole thing <clears throat> up. So help us with that <clears throat> article. Uh, it goes on this article. Be sure you get the notes, folks. But this year, COP28, the, quote, Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, has brought the role of religion and religious leaders to new heights, mm. calling faith-based organizations and religious leaders an important presence at COP28 meeting in Dubai. The UN Environment Program worked with religious leaders from around the world to arrange for a faith pavilion where faith leaders share ideas and offer counseling services to any of the tens of thousands of attendees from nearly 200 nations, reported Jenny Ross in the New York Times December 5th or De December 5 in her article. And here's the name of the article. Got climate angst? At the UN summit, there's a quiet spiritual place. Pope Francis and Ahmed Al-Tayyib, the grand imam of Al-Azhar, inaugurated the faith pavilion. Oh, let me read that again. 
Pope Francis and Ahmed Al-Talib, the Grand Iman of Al-Azhar, inaugurated the Faith Pavilion. And Hindu, Buddhist, and other religious leaders also took part, Gross reported. Uh, quoting, the, the Reverend James Bhagwan, the General Secretary of the Pacific Conference of Churches, spoke on a panel about how to comfort people in the Pacific Islands who have been displaced from their ancestral and spiritual homelands because of rising sea levels and climate disasters, close quote. Bhagwan cited from Psalm 137, quote, how do I sing the Lord's song in a strange land, close quote. I guess that was supposed to lend divine authority <laughs> to the reverend's message. What did the reverend Bhagwan have in mind? Quote, parts of some low-lying island nations in the Pacific, like Tuvalu, Gross wrote, are already being swallowed by rising seas. Are Tuvalu and other low-lying Pacific island, islands drowning in the rising seas? Four years ago, two scientists, Albert Parker and Clifford Olier, both sea level uh, specialists in the peer-reviewed article, quote, Pacific sea levels rising very slowly and not accelerating, not accelerating, close quote, in Questions Geographic reported, quote, over the past decades, detailed surveys of the Pacific Ocean Atoll Islands show no sign of drowning because of accelerated sea level rise. Quoting again, since the start of the 1990s, they summarize, the sea levels of the Pacific Ocean have been remarkably stable. Actually, since that's the start of the 1900s, the sea levels haven't... Uh, yes. Uh, what did I say? 1990s. Well, just... 1900s is even better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Continuing, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's sixth assessment report claims that global mean sea level rose about two-tenths of a meter, or 200 millimeters, or just under eight inches from 1901 through 2018. That would be an average of 1.7 millimeters per year, or two-thirds of an inch per decade. In the last four years, that would amount to just under half an inch, hardly enough to drown these islands. So here at this COP, uh, what is it, 28, 28, something like that, they're in Dubai. They bring in this preacher, among other so faith leaders, I, I still am not sure what a faith leader is. I hear that right. word faith leader a lot. I don't even know what they're talking about. But anyway, they bring in this preacher amongst other faith leaders who gives a sermon from Psalm 137 on how the <laughs> oceans are rising in the Pacific Islands and displacing the people groups of those specific islands. And he applies Psalm 137 to say, how can I sing of the Lord in a, in a foreign land. Um, let me just ask you a question, brother Jim, if you were a homiletics professor and you were grading that kind of sermon, what kind of grade would you <laughs> assign to a sermon like that? Effie. <laughs> <laughs> when you consider that Psalm 137 is the, uh, most recent, uh, Psalm in the Psalter. And when it talks about, uh, singing, 
in a foreign land, it's talking about the Babylonian captivity. Oops. <laughs> I mean, they say... I, oh, details, I, I, details. I, 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 so, read Psalm 137 yourself. It's a wonderful psalm. Yeah. But it's dealing with the deportation to Babylon. It's the most recent uh, psalm in the Psalter. And the psalmist is saying, how can I praise the Lord, you know, in a, in a foreign land in the Babylonian captivity? And then this preacher takes that psalm and applies it to people being displaced from the Pacific Islands because the oceans are rising. When in reality, the oceans aren't rising at all, as any peer review, actual scientific literature will tell you. I mean, and, and these, this is the type of, of people that they bring into, what is it, COP28 in Dubai to add this spiritual component um, to this rescue of the earth mentality. Now, I think this is bringing in the religious <laughs> wow. leg or religious arm yeah. of the New World Order. What would you add to all of that? Well, you know, when you know that the people you're speaking to don't even know where Psalm is in the Bible, <laughs> what, you know, it's very easy to quote something from the Bible and take it out of context. Yes. Now, something else. <laughs> um, whatever happened to the strict wall of separation between church and state Oops. that the left has been demanding <clears throat> from time immemorial? Yeah. I mean, when we want to bring the Bible into play related to conservative positions, abortion or whatever, we're told we can't do that because of a strict wall of separation between church and state. How come nobody is applying the strict wall of separation of church and state to a preacher using Psalm 137 to promote the global warming climate change agenda? By the way, you, let's bring in some scripture. Can that we, would be good. I mean, he brought in scripture. <clears throat> yeah. Why don't we bring in scripture? In context. What does Genesis 8 <laughs> verse 22 say? Genesis eight twenty-two. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So God says in early Genesis <laughs> that, look, it doesn't matter what kind of SUV you drive. Or it doesn't, doesn't matter how much capitalism or the free market you embrace, the earth is going to go through natural rhythms or cycles, yeah. one of which is cold and heat. Yep. So all of the restrictions that <clears throat> COP28, is it, wants to bring to us won't do anything to stop these fluctuations. Right. So there, uh, they use the scripture to apply to this issue. Why can't we do the same? Well, when we do it, we're violating the strict wall of separation between church and state. When they do it, you know, nobody <laughs> seems to care. They're not going to let go of this issue, Brother Jim, because no. they need a crisis to right. bring in global right. governance. That's what the Al Gore quote indicates. Yeah. Speaking of crisis, uh, <laughs> what is... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg doing lately. This comes from the Gateway Pundit, December the 15th, 2023. You get the idea that he knows a crisis is about to hit <laughs> our world. Uh, the article says, far left Mark Zuckerberg, uh, he's the founder of FB, isn't he? Facebook? Facebook, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Reportedly mm -hmm. developing a $270 million fortress in Hawaii with a massive underground bunker and an escape hatch. What's going on here? Far left Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta, is building a massive compound on the Hawaiian island of, uh, I can't remember if I say this right, Kauai? Kauai, okay, thank you. Thank you to our Hawaiian uh, producer. Yes. Uh, featuring an actually, escape. We actually have two of them. Actually, two of them, thank you, yes. And his lovely wife. 
Uh, but I digress. Featuring an escape hatch and a massive doomsday underground bunker. The striking details of Zuckerberg's secretive Hawaiian project have emerged following a wired investigation, citing sources and documents obtained through public records requests, with an estimated total cost exceeding $270 million. Zuckerberg's fortress boasts a 5,000 square foot subterranean bunker with living spaces, mechanical rooms, and a ladder to an above ground escape hatch. The sense of fortress-like security is heightened by the inclusion of blind doors, portals designed to seamlessly blend with walls, authenticated access control via keypads and soundproofing are additional features. Plans for the site suggest a private escape with the compound poised to offer self-sufficiency through its own water tank system and food production across its sprawling 1,400 acres. Wired reported, nobody working on this project is allowed to talk about what they're building. Almost anyone who passes compound security, from carpenters to electricians to painters to security guards, is bound by a strict non-disclosure agreement according to several workers involved in the project. And they say these agreements aren't a formality. Multiple workers claim they saw or heard about colleagues removed from the project wow. for posting about it on social media. Different construction crews within the state, or excuse me, within the site, are assigned to separate projects, and workers are forbidden from speaking with other crews about their work, sources say. Quote, it's Fight Club. Speculation abounds as to why one of the world's richest individuals would build a massive compound with such intricate, intricate security measures. The construction of Zuckerberg's fortress is a private matter protected by NDAs and shielded by high walls. What does Zuckerberg know that we don't? See, these people, they need a crisis. They thrive on a crisis, whether it's a manufactured crisis or a real crisis to bring yeah. in global governance. And you get the idea that they're prepping the world for some kind of major crisis. Mm -hmm. To the point where this guy is building a $270 million underground bunker with an escape hatch, and the workers are, can't even talk about it. In other words, worker A doesn't even know what worker B is working on, and they're keeping it under cahoots this tightly. You get the idea that, and I like how the article ends here, what does Zuckerberg know that we don't know? Mm -hmm. And... I'll throw in this other uh, component. Could this be preparatory for Revelation 6 ah. verses uh, 15 and 16? What do those verses say? Revelation chapter 6 verses 15 and 16. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they say to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. 
I mean, maybe Zuckerberg is building this because hmm. God knows this prophecy has to be fulfilled by somebody. You've got to have these rich men. Doesn't it mention it's rich men specifically. here? And, and kings mm -hmm. hiding in caves. Wow. Is he building a $270 million cave in, in, in preparation for the fulfillment of this prophecy in mm. Revelation 6? Just an interesting it angle is. on the whole it thing. It is interesting. So we've got Gog Magog coming together. We've got the two-state solution. We've got anti-Semitism on the rise. We've got global governance on the horizon. And really, Brother Jim, one of the last um, restraints against global government government is the free and independent and prosperous United States of America. Mm, and yes. if we can put our map back up there, as I look at the prophetic scenario, um, you'll notice this map here, once again, of Gog Magog. I don't see the United States mentioned here. No. I don't see the United States mentioned in any uh, eschatological, biblical, prophetic text. No. So my understanding is the United States has to be in decline. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if, Brother Jim, everywhere you look, the United States of America is being attacked externally and internally yeah. from every possible or conceivable angle. One That's of right. the things that is happening, and nobody wants to talk about it, no one wants to hear it, including myself for that matter, is the United States is being taken over by Islam. Now, notice this article from the Gateway Pundit, December the 16th, 2023. Radical Imam calls for Muslims to wage jihad in the United States. There's a video. People can get this article, and, and if you have the stomach to watch it, to watch it. But help us with that article. Ahmad Musa Jabril, a Michigan Islamist preacher, has called on American Muslims to wage jihad against the infidel West and declared Muslims in the U.S. should start normalizing jihad. An ex-account associated with the radical imam shared several clips, including one that labels Joe Biden a terrorist for his administration's policy toward Israel, quoting, you have seen that senile pharaoh of our time. He has lost his mind of everything except his loyalty and support for Jewish occupiers is more to blame for the genocide in Palestine than the occupying Jews, close quote. Quoting again, yes, there is holy war in Islam. It is jihad. This may be a surprise to many who grew up in the West, especially those who were born or grew up post 9-11 because of the growing number of hypocrites who are spreading the American Zionist Islam. And it has nothing to do with Islam. That version of Islam is an Islam that suits the enemies. If you can't raise your child telling him you want him to be mujahid and martyr, then you are the root of the problem, Jibril suggested. That in the time following the October 7 attack by Hamas terrorists on Israeli uh, civilians, young Muslims should understand that, quote, the infidel West, particularly the U.S., are the enemies of Muslims. He also urged Muslim mothers to, quote, 
nurse their infants with the love of jihad and the ambition to become a mujahid and a martyr, close quote. So apparently Biden is uh, not liberal enough for this guy. No, apparently not. And he's calling on families with children to raise their kids to commit jihad mm -hmm. against anybody that loves Israel within the United States of America. Right. And this guy has a track record of actually um, uh, stimulating, encouraging people to violence. Yes. What's the last part of that article say? A perpetrator in the London Bridge 2017 terror attack was also reportedly a listener of Jabril. Alberto Fernandez, vice president of the Middle East Media Research Institute, told Fox News Digital, quote, you have, pretty, you have pretty radicalizing extreme content happening. This is stuff they uploaded on social media. It's there for everybody to see. If that's the stuff that they're saying openly, what are they saying that is not open, Fernandez said. See, that's a great question. It is. Um, if they're saying this kind of stuff on social media, what in the world are they saying in these mosques? Yeah. And I want people yeah. to understand that this is the type of sermon, if you can call it that, that is being preached in some mosques right here domestically in the United States That's right. of America. That's right. And essentially what's happening is America is being overwhelmed by Islam mm -hmm. uh, to the point where the state of Minnesota is now changing its flag, its state flag. Mm. And boy, the new version sure looks an awful lot <laughs> like an Islamic state. It sure um, does. And so we have this article from uh, Headlines USA, December 17th, 2023. Just a coincidence. New <laughs> Minnesota flag draws backlash for Somali resemblance. Mm. Help us here. A Minnesota commission tasked with redesigning the state's flag faced significant backlash on Twitter due to allegations that the new design closely resembled flags from territories in Somalia, an East African country. The proposed design includes an eight-point north star along with a tricolor stripe, blue, white, and green, symbolizing elements reminiscent of the state's geography, including mountains, water bodies, and the sky. The change came after complaints that the old flag was offensive to Native Americans. Okay, let's stop right there. Um, that's how they're doing this. Let's tear down the yeah. old because mm -hmm. it's offensive to Native Americans. Right. Once you tear down the old, let's put in the new. This is the build back better yeah. mentality. And when they build it back better, it looks a lot more like Marxism or Islam. Mm -hmm, yes. But they've got to scrap the original to put up the new. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no. Continuing, as reported by the Star Tribune on Friday, the commission settled on the new design, but will likely undergo further edits in the upcoming days. However, the final draft came under immediate scrutiny from social media critics who drew parallels between the proposed flag and those of Jubaland and Puntland, two Somali federal states. In response, a popular conserv conservative accountant in wokeness posted on t uh, Twitter, quote, Minnesota is home to the largest Somali population in the West. Mm -hmm. Representative Ilhan Omar from Minnesota is from Puntland. <laughs> Minnesota just unveiled their new flag. And wokeness added, quote, Minnesota just replaced its official state flag with a new flag that looks 
awfully similar to Somalia. Now, let me explain something. When you're dealing with Islam and the Middle East, the symbol is reality. It is, yes. The, the symbol is everything. Mm -hmm. And when they take down an existing flag under the name of wokeness or political correctness, and they put up a new flag over an entire state, mm -hmm. what they are communicating is we have won the battle mm -hmm. over this city yeah. and over this entire state. It may not mean that to us, but right. that's what it means to them. Right. It's a revelation into their thought pattern. And as we've been talking, we've had the graphic up or the picture of the three flags. Let's put that up one more time if we could. The top one is the existing Minnesota flag that they want to scrap for purposes of wokeness and political <laughs> yeah. correctness. The middle one is the new flag. And the bottom one is the uh, Somali flag. I mean, Brother Jim, do those look? Similar, the number two and number I'm, three. I'm telling you. They, they look almost identical to me, mm -hmm. uh, just with a few cosmetic changes. Yeah. And so this is a sign that they have actually won and they have conquered in their minds this mm. particular capital and this entire state. And, <sighs> and what is causing this um, United States being overwhelmed by Islam is open borders. Uh, with open borders, anyone that's unvetted, uh, whether they're part of a hateful ideology or not, can come across the borders. And as I stand here today, Brother Jim, there is one man from the human perspective that has the right ideology, mm -hmm. uh, the right um, uh, uh, history, political history, and the will to correct this, mm -hmm. and that's Donald Trump. Yeah, that's and true. And I'm not here to take, to enter into the debate, the primary issue between DeSantis and Trump. I personally like both of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but the truth of the matter is DeSantis does not have the polling numbers that Donald Trump has. Uh, so the truth of the matter is there's one man from a human perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, with God, all things are possible, obviously. Yes, but for yes. I stand at the end of 2023, there is one man that can put an end to this open borders policy and uh, prevent this uh, massive illegal immigration of Muslims into the United States, overwhelming the United States, and that's Donald Trump. And so what has, with that being said, what has the state of Colorado, their Supreme Court, <laughs> just done? Yeah. Well, they have just come out, Brother Jim, with a ruling uh, for oh boy, all Democrat, by the way, surprise, surprise, yeah, all surprise. pointed by Democrats, four Democrat Supreme Court justices in the state of Colorado who are really activists masquerading as jurists. That's right. <laughs> have come out with a, a ruling saying Donald Trump's name is now going to be removed. <laughs> From the California ballot. In other wow. words, the, the good hmm. people of the state of Colorado, if this ruling stands, I'm hoping the Supreme Court will, will intervene here. Hmm. I mean, if it's not going to intervene here, is it ever going to intervene in anything ever? Yeah. But if this ruling stands, the good people of Colorado are being denied the opportunity to vote for Donald Trump. Now, That's this right. is just hot recent. It's hot in the news. It's amazing. This is from uh, yahoo.com, December the 19th, 2023. 
Donald Trump banned from Colorado ballot in historic ruling by the state's mm. Supreme Court. What's happening here? A divided Colorado Supreme Court on Tuesday declared former President Donald Trump ineligible for the White House <laughs> under the U.S. Constitution's insurrection clause and removed him from the state's presidential primary ballot, setting up a likely showdown in the nation's highest court to decide whether the front runner for the GOP nomina nomination can remain in the race. The decision from a court whose justices were all appointed by Democratic governors marks the first time in history that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment has been used to disqualify a presidential candidate. Quote, a majority of the courts a majority of the court holds that Trump is disqualified from holding the office of president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, close quote. The court wrote in its 4-3 decision. Trump's legal spokesperson, Alina Hara, said in a statement Tuesday night, quote, This ruling issued by the Colorado Supreme Court attacks the very heart of this nation's democracy. It will not stand. And we trust that the Supreme Court will reverse this unconstitutional order. Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel, McDaniel labeled the decision, quote, election interference and said the RNC's legal team intends to help Trump fight the ruling. But the danger for the former president is that more courts and election officials will follow, will follow Colorado's lead and exclude Trump from must-win states. Dozens of lawsuits have been filed nationally to disqualify Trump under Section 3, which was designed to keep former Confederates from returning to government after the Civil War. It bars from office anyone who swore an oath to support the Constitution and then engaged in insurrection or rebellion against it and has been used only a handful of times since the decade after the Civil War. Uh, Trump's attorneys argued the then-president had simply been using his free speech rights and hadn't called for violence. Now, here's the problem. Uh, number one, if this stands in Colorado, then other bluish states are mm -hmm. going to keep Trump off the ballot. Right. Now, our lieutenant governor here, Dan Patrick, opened the door to, well, if you guys are going to keep uh, Trump off the ballot in Colorado, then we're going to keep Biden off the ballot in Texas. So now we have a situation where the country is at war with itself and uh, the people are being denied a chance to vote for whom they want to vote for. Ridiculous. Uh, I know we're not a democracy. We're a Republican form of government. But democracy itself, where the people have a say, we're kind of a hybrid. Mm -hmm. uh, we are a Republican form of government with some Democratic elements by, right. The, right. by the design of the Founding Fathers. The Democratic aspect is gone. If you can just take uh, political opponents and use these technicalities, you know, to remove them from uh, from the ballot. Yeah. People are denied an opportunity to vote. 
Number two, this is being done on the grounds that Trump led an insurrection or a riot, which he did not do. No. Uh, Jack Smith, is that his name? The prosecutor prosecuting Trump did not list insurrection as one of the charges against Trump, something he would have done if Trump had really mm -hmm. led an insurrection. Right. Trump offered Nancy Pelosi, the then Speaker of the House, the police, the D.C. police, uh, or was it the National Guard? I think the National Guard, one of the two, mm -hmm. to help in the case that the January 6th crowd gets out of control. That's very strange behavior for someone accused of leading an insurrection. Right. You don't offer, you know, police right. or National Guard support. Uh, beyond that, Trump himself in his speech to the J6 protesters said, okay, now go over peacefully mm -hmm. and patriotically. Mm-hmm and make your political perspective known, which, by the way, is your right to do That's uh, true. under our First Amendment. Uh, when you say peacefully, that's very strange language for someone <laughs> that's accused of leading an insurrection. I mean, right. what is an insurrection, Brother Jim? It's calling for and involved in the overthrow of the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. This is not what insurrectionists do. Right. And uh, beyond that, you have people in the crowd. It's now been documented. Uh, one gentleman, his last name I think is Epp or Epps. He is the one that's been identified as a Fed that's who's exactly encouraging right. everybody to go into the Capitol. That's By the way, right. the, 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 the police in charge of the Capitol let the people in. They sure did. They probably thought it was just kind of a sightseeing kind of thing. So this is not um, an insurrection. By the way, the only person that was shot and killed that I know of is Ashley Babbitt. Yeah. And um, she was one of the uh, so-called insurrectionists that was killed. The police were not killed at all. You, you, you would expect it to go the other way if this was an actual insurrection. You're dying to say something. No, I, <laughs> you know, I'm sure it was all, all because she was carrying one of those nasty assault rifles, right? Yeah. Well, she, well, no, she was unarmed. She was unarmed. Completely unarmed. And uh, beyond all of that, if you want to find someone in our culture that's an actual insurrectionist, um, I would suggest you look at BLM, Black Lives <laughs> Matter. Yeah, a uh, summer or two ago caused looting and arson all over the country. Yep. But if you want to really find an actual criminal insurrectionist, Joseph Biden is an actual insurrectionist. And the reason I say that is he's because he's let all these people into our country unvetted. Yep. Now, that to me, knowingly, knowingly uh, fits more the definition of an insurrection than anything you know, mm. Donald Trump did. Yeah. Number three, as I'm going down my little list here, this uh, Colorado Supreme Court used the 14th Amendment, uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, someone that leads an insurrection can't hold office. Well, you know who that is was aimed at, Brother Jim? The 14th Amendment is a post-Civil War amendment. Right. Uh, it's, it was good in terms of its original intention, mm -hmm. and it was to prevent Confederates, defeated Confederates, from holding high office in the United States of America. That's who the insurrectionists were. Now, how can you 
how can you take that, rip it completely out of its historical context, mm -hmm. and apply it to the situation of Donald Trump when, as we've indicated before, Donald Trump does not, what he did uh, related to January 6th, does not fit the legal definition of an insurrection. Well, it's an apples to oranges comparison yes. because in the Civil War, you had individuals that separated from the from the, uh, the the nation and picked up arms to come against the nation. Yes. Now, that didn't happen on January 6th. That's absolutely correct. And beyond that, I want people to understand that this 14th Amendment, and I'm, I'm a lawyer. I graduated from... Uh, law school. I'm licensed to practice law in the in the state of California. The 14th Amendment has been used um, ripping it out of context, much like cultists rip Bible mm. verses out of context, mm. has been used to introduce countless ungodly concepts into our society. Yeah. Roe versus Wade had life because of alleged language in the 14th Amendment, when the 14th Amendment has nothing to do with abortion. Yeah. It has to do with uh, post-Civil War type, type, type of scenario. The 14th Amendment has been also used by taking the Establishment Clause, reading language into the Establishment Clause, and applying it to the states. Uh, coupling the First Amendment and the 14th Amendment has been used to push prayer mm -hmm and Bible reading yeah. under the alleged separation of church and state doctrine, mm. completely out of our culture and society and out of our public school system. Yeah. When if you go back in history and you study something called the Blaine Amendment, you'll see that the House of Representatives that passed the 14th Amendment intentionally decoupled the Establishment Clause from the 14th Amendment. But over the course of time, the 14th Amendment has been abused. And what I'm trying to say is the 14th Amendment, because of some ambiguous language, has been wrenched by it out of its context by liberal jurists to bring countless anti-God concepts into American culture. And now they're doing the same thing. They're using this out of context, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, to remove... Donald Trump from the uh, Colorado ballot where the good people of Colorado don't even have the opportunity uh, to, wow. vote, to vote for or against him. Wow. And mm. uh, I, I add all of this to talk about the decline of the United States of America yeah. because as Islam is taking over our culture, we know what's causing it, an open borders mindset. And the one guy from a human perspective that can actually stop it uh, they are throwing literally every obstacle mm -hmm. they know of in his in his path to a second term. They're afraid of him. Yeah. And if they succeed, America will continue to disintegrate. Mm -hmm. uh, more factors mm -hmm. leading to the disintegration of the United States of America. Notice what Kathy Hochul is doing in the state of New York. Here's an article by Frank Bergman Slay News, December the 19th, 2023, Governor Hochul of New York is creating a slavery reparations commission wow. in New York. What's mm. going on here? New York's Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul has just signed a bill to establish a slavery reparations commission for the state. The commission will explore methods of redistributing 
taxpayer money among black communities by providing reparations to descendants of slaves. Governor Hochul signed the bill on Tuesday to create, quote, a community commission to study the history of slavery in New York State, close quote. The commission will examine, quote, various forms of reparations, close quote, according to the bill. Quoting again, here in New York, there was a slave market where people bought and sold other human beings with callous disregard, Hochul said. It happened right on Wall Street for more than a century. And even though it officially closed when slavery was abolished in New York in 1827, our state still remained a dominant player in the illegal slave trade. The practice continued and our financial and business institutions prospered. Close quote. Okay, critical race theory, reparations, equals what, Brother Jim? It equals communism. Yes, sir. Because it's an excuse to redistribute the wealth. That's why That's the Pastor word. Jim, as he read from this article, emphasized the word redistributing. Mm -hmm. That's what Mark said. From each according to his ability, to each according to his need. Redistribution re, re, re of the wealth. The commission will explore methods of redistributing taxpayer money that's a code word for marxism it's just they're using the issue of race to get it done mm -hmm. so we're going to mm -hmm. take money away from somebody that never owned a slave and give that money to someone who never was a slave now how is that any different than marxism it's not it's just this time around they're not using uh the rich exploiting the poor as an excuse for it they're using the issue of reparations as an excuse for it. But folks, this is nothing more than Marxism, which has led to the wholesale demise of country after country after country after country around the world. And it's coming right here to the United States of America. It's coming first to the state of New York as this commission has been. Uh, recognized and authorized. Mm -hmm. And from there, it will most likely spread to our whole country. And these are things which are contributing to the destruction and the demise of the mm -hmm. United States of America, which I think Bible prophecy wow. actually demands and calls for. What yeah. would you say add to that? I, I totally agree with you. And I just find it fascinating that they're going to redistribute taxpayer money course they don't tell you what that means they don't you know they don't say it's only a certain segment of society that they're going to you know attack with this new bill yeah right it's you know it's it's just ridiculous and that's what marxism does is it pits groups against that's each other. right the that's right. bourgeoisie versus the proletariat well this is pitting racial groups against each other it is now what did jesus say in matthew 12 verse 25 matthew 12 25 and knowing their thoughts Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. You get a country divided against itself, it can't stand. Yep. And this is another factor leading to the demise of the United States of America. And Brother Jim, if that, if that weren't enough, <laughs> and this is our last article, believe it or not. If that weren't enough, they're going after our gas powered 
lawnmowers and gardening tools. Well, what are all these people coming across the border going to do for jobs? I oh, did I say that out loud? That's a I'm great sorry. question. Uh, here's our final article. This, again, by Frank Bergman, December the 14th, 2023, also from Slay News. And it's talking about blue state Democrats. Now, this is something happening in the state of Washington. <sighs> are demanding a fine? Well, it doesn't say that demanding jail time jail time for people caught doing what stealing from the uh, neighborhood liquor store no they're if they're caught using their gas powered gardening tools in the state of washington the democrats and it's one party rule over there uh it's a blue it's the bluest of the blue like new york and and this is the tragedy of states when they go blue these are the types of communist Marxist policies that you start to get, they are demanding jail time for using a gas-powered um, lawnmower. What's happening here in this article? This is almost hard to read with a straight face. <laughs> Democrats in the state of Washington are pushing for members of the public to be jailed for up to one year <laughs> if they are caught using gas-powered gardening tools. According to state reps Amy Wallen and Liz Berry, jailing law-abiding citizens over their lawnmower's power source will help to fight climate change. Of course. Last week, the Democrat lawyers introduced House Bill 1868. The legislation seeks to, quote, reduce emissions from outdoor power equipment. According to the bill... Gas and diesel-powered landscaping tools, quote, emit a host of air pollutants. These pollutants are allegedly contributing to climate change and negatively impacting public health. Toward the end of the document, if passed, the new rule would impact lawnmowers, strimmers, hedge trimmers, chainsaws, leaf blowers, augers, wood chippers, pressure washers, snow blowers, and many other tools. Operating a prohibited lawn care tool would be deemed a gross misdemeanor, punishable by jail time. <laughs> Offenders, quote, shall be punished by a fine of not more than $10,000 or by imprisonment in the county jail for up to 364 days, or by both for each separate violation, close quote, according to state law. So this is a bill that's about to become a law. You believe this? As we understand it. So we're kind of ending, Brother Jim, where we started. Uh, climate change is yeah. the excuse for it's all, all of this. It's all tied in together. Um, just real quick before we end here. Why are they always against gas-powered things? Gas-powered stove, gas-powered car, gas-powered gardening tools. It's very simple in terms of an answer. Gas power is an independent source of energy. They don't want us to have independent sources of energy. They want to be able right. to create this social credit score system where they flick mm. a switch and you're cut off from life. Yeah. Exactly what Revelation 13, 16 Great through point. 18 anticipates. And as long as I have a gas-powered stove and a gas-powered car and a gas-powered automobile, um, 
or lawnmower. I'm not dialed into their system, and I have independence and could live my life the way uh, I want to live it. But the moment I move to all this electricity as the only source of power is the moment I'm dialed into their system. Right. That's why they're against America's energy independence, and they want us in these little electric cars and they don't want us to have gas-powered stoves or, or gas-powered lawnmowers. And that's really the tie that binds all of this stuff together. So yeah. any yeah. way you slice it, did you want to add something? Well, that? I was just going to say, and that's one reason why they don't like Texas, because we have natural gas and oil. Yeah. And so one of the things that's happening is the United States is, is in decline. Now, I think we should oppose it through the Patriot Movement as much as we can, but the handwriting is on the wall. America is being overwhelmed by Islam. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, illegal immigration is causing the problem, and the one guy that can actually fix it from the human perspective with the adequate polling numbers, people are being denied the opportunity now to even vote for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marxism is being introduced through reparations and then uh, radical environmentalism is being inter- introduced through these kinds of things happening in the state of Washington relative to you know gas-powered uh, automobiles, uh, gas-powered lawnmowers, etc. Mm. So all of that to say, that's our prophecy update for today. Uh, just in review, we've talked about the Gog-Magog alignment, the movement towards the two-state solution, the uptick in anti-Semitism, The uptick in our movement towards globalism, including a religious veneer that's being introduced, and the, it seems to me, almost inevitable decline of the United States of Mm -hmm. America as the last resistor against the new world order. With all that being said, Brother Jim, do we have any good news? Always and always. (laughs) Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And how could people be dialed into that promise if they don't know Jesus personally? Well, it's quite simple, actually. You just put your faith, trust, and confidence for the safekeeping of your soul in the one and only individual who died for your sin. He, was de- he died, he was buried, he was resurrected on the third day to bring life to all of those that would place their trust in him. And as Pastor often says, belief is not merely mental assent, but it's trusting, it's placing your confidence in him. And listen, folks, with what we've talked about today, if you don't know Jesus, please consider the claims of his of the Lord Jesus on your life today. Trust him for the safekeeping of your soul. And as you, you do that, you're tied into many wonderful promises, not the least of which is the promise that he makes to us that he'll remove us from the earth via the rapture. That's right. Before the wrath of God hits That's right. planet earth. By way of a few infomercials, I want to encourage people to get the Andy Woods Ministries app where all of our teaching content is regularly being uploaded onto that app, including this presentation here. Just go to the App Store, type in Andy Woods Ministries, and please download our free app. Also, Pastor's Point of View is available in podcast format. Where Go to wherever it is you get your podcasts, type in Andy Woods Ministries, And if you want to absorb the information in podcast format, that is available at your fingertips. These show notes that we read from are somewhat laborious, 
but believe it or not, Brother Jim, we only are able to scratch the surface. Barely. And so we would encourage people to go to our website, andywoodsministries.org. There's a conspicuous way there to sign up for our show notes. Every time we post a PPOV episode, these show notes via links will show up in your inbox. Beyond that, I want to make people aware of our rapidly approaching upcoming prophecy conference yes, here sir. at Sugarland Bible Church, a banquet Friday evening, February the 23rd, an all-day Saturday conference, the 24th. It's a flood to final days conference. I can't think of anything more relevant mm, to talk about. Yeah. Prophetic teaching given by Dr. David Reagan, Olivier Melnick, and myself, coupled with uh, creation scientist Russ Miller, bringing up the creation side of it. We, Since we have a couple of these guys teaching Sunday morning also at Sugarland yes. Bible Church, we would just invite people Friday through Sunday, come out to Sugarland and make a whole weekend of it. Uh, you'll find information about it on the SLBC Sugarland Bible Church website. I also want to make people aware of a conference that's coming up entitled the Middle Georgia Bible Exposition Conference, January 26 through 28 in the new year, 2024. For more information, you can call either Dennis Roxer or Pastor Kevin Lucas, and their phone numbers are there uh, on the screen. If you call the church, there's not much we can do to help you in terms of information. So not a whole please, lot. please call those numbers. But it's just a tremendous conference uh, featuring John Clark, myself, Pastor Roxer, Sean Laughlin, and Kevin Lucas. And I love the title of it, Clarifying Confusion. That's a good thing. Confusion about what? The gospel, the rapture, the kingdom, <laughs> repentance, eternal security grace and hermeneutics which oh, is like the that. science and art of biblical interpretation i'm actually doing a session on clarifying confusion on the rapture clarifying confusion on the kingdom mm. but i want to make you aware of this uh, wonderful uh, middle georgia bible exposition conference that is coming up also coming up february 29th through march 3rd I am going to be one of the speakers amongst many outstanding prophecy teachers. You can see their pictures there at the bottom of the screen. Uh, dealing with the subject of Bible prophecy in Orlando, Florida. Again, calling the church here won't help you uh, with it because we don't have any information about it that these folks that are putting it on you know, don't already have. Go to uh, OrlandoProphecySummit.com to learn about this conference. Uh, I see Tommy Ice's picture there. Uh, I see Alex Newman, uh, Brandon Holthouse, uh, Billy Crone, J.B. Hickson, pastor or teacher evangelist Don Perkins. I'm one of the presenters, and I hope to meet a lot of our folks that follow us in the Florida area. That's going to be uh, uh, Orlando, Florida. So I want to make you aware of that. you have anything to say about that? That's a whole slew of fellows there. Yes, it? it is. That's going to be a good conference. And uh, I also want to make you aware of Chafer Theological Seminary. Uh, we're starting to register for the spring semester. Registration will be from January 2nd to the 19th in the new year. 
and the new semester will be from the 22nd of January to May the 23rd. I'm teaching a class called Hebrews through Revelation. Oh, so boy. if you want to sign up for that class and sort of meet me personally online, uh, I'll be one of the teachers. And there's many outstanding courses for people to to take at Chafer Theological Seminary in the upcoming spring semester. And uh, Brother Jim, as I said at the top of the show, this is our last show for the year because we are on the verge of Christmas week. We're not going to be here next week, Christmas week. Um, but this uh, show that we do, Pastor's Point of View, revolves around Bible prophecy. And we mm -hmm. have actually an important um, Christmas prophecy, don't we, in the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. What does that say? Micah 5, 2, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. An obvious reference to the Messiah. Yes. Because it's eternity, olam in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And this was written, Brother Jim, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seven centuries before Jesus showed up. Wow. It, and it pinpoints the exact tribe he's coming from I know. of yes. 12, Judah. It predicts the exact city yes. within that tribe that he's coming from. Yep. And most people don't know this, but there were actually two Bethlehem. That's true. That's right. And so it identifies the correct one. Very specific. Uh, very near Jerusalem, not the one uh, up north there in Galilee as Bethlehem, Ephratah. And so it becomes an amazing prophecy about the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which we celebrate on Christmas week. And so we would encourage people to keep Jesus in your thoughts uh, yes. this Christmas season. He, after all, is the reason for the season. Amen. Uh, acknowledge his birth, go somewhere to church where they celebrate these kinds of things. And uh, let's say, let's all say happy birthday together to Jesus Amen. who broke into human history to fix the greatest problem that we have, our mm. sinful separation from God. So mm. sorry we went a little bit long today, but it is our last show of the year. So we had to kind of jam everything in. <laughs> we wish everybody a Merry Christmas. We're going to see you in the new year. See you next year, as we say. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, and we'll see you next time in 2024 as we bring to you another pastor's point of view. God bless you. God bless.